what you just sang was Elijah, 560 B.C. What you just sang was Elijah's story. He came on that particular day, 1 Kings 19. He sat underneath a juniper tree, and he said, I am tired, I am weak, I am sad, I am worn. And Jesus came to him. You, you say, Pastor, you misspeak yourself. If he was here in 560 B.C., it would be another 560 years before Jesus came. I do not bespeak myself, because in the seventh verse it says that the angel of the Lord touched him. And I will explain shortly that in the twelve times that the angel of the Lord came in the Old Testament, it was none other than Jesus Christ himself sent by God for a perilous moment. And then the angel of the Lord ascends back up into heaven until it is time for him to come on this earth from the Virgin Mary's womb. There are two great prophets in the Old Testament that do not have the distinction that they should have, simply because there is no book in the Old Testament that is written by them. Elijah and Elisha, they are non-literary prophets. Isaiah has a book, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, they all have books, but Elijah does not. Neither does his disciple, Elisha. Second Kings 2, when Elijah goes up into heaven in a fiery chariot, in a whirlwind, Elisha then takes over the ministry. He is well trained. He has watched Elijah at work. He's heard his prayers. He's seen him speak endlessly to God. He sees his care for the people. And when it's Elisha's turn, he carries the mantle well. Are they lesser prophets? No. In many ways, they are greater. If you ask me the top five miracles in the Old Testament, First Kings 18 would be one of them. You have the creation of the world. You have Noah's Ark. You have the opening of the waters of the Red Sea. And in First Kings 18, you have the prophet Elijah standing on Mount Carmel. The temple of Jerusalem had been vacant for a long, long time. As generation after generation went by, the people drifted further and further away from God. They could not find the temple of Jerusalem on their GPS system because that temple had not been part of their lives. And if they had gone to the temple, they would have seen idols there. Statues to the fertility god Baal and the fertility goddess Esterah. That's what they would have seen in the temple. Elijah has prayed for many, many years that the people would turn back to God. And year after year, his prayer is not answered. Year after year, he sees the people drifting further and further away from God. And finally, God says to him, I've had enough. Isaiah 59, 2, I've had enough. I shall take my blessing away from them. I shall not see their face any longer. And Elijah said, has it come to this? 
And God said it has. There will be no rain on the land for three and a half years. No rain. No rain. When you have wheat fields and when you have olive gardens and there is no rain, the crops die. And when you have livestock and when you have sheep and goats and there is no rain, they die. And then the people themselves begin to die. And every year for three and a half years, Elijah would lift his hands to God and he'd say, Is your judgment enough? And God would say, The people haven't turned back to me. And six months later, Elijah would say, Is your judgment enough? He said, The people have not turned back to me. And finally, Elijah says to him, You must come. If you come, the people will turn back to you. And after three and a half years, God said, Elijah, Mount Carmel on this day, and I shall come. Elijah goes to King Ahab and Queen Jezebel in the capital city of Jezreel, and he says to Ahab, and he says to Jezebel, My God has brought this drought. My God shall end this drought. Your prophets on Mount Carmel on this day. And Jezebel smiles at her husband Ahab, and she says, Finally, the thorn in my flesh, the one I hate the most, Elijah, he shall meet his end. She didn't send 20 prophets and priests, priestess. She didn't send a 100. She didn't send 200. You want to talk about a show of force? 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah on Mount Carmel against one prophet, Prophet Elijah. And Elijah says, cut up two bowls, one for Baal and Asherah, one for Jehovah. And they cut up the bowl, and Elijah says to the 850 prophets and priestess, you go first, call upon your God. And from morning to noon, they call upon their God to bring down fire from heaven. There is no response. At 12 noon, the Bible says, Elijah began to mock them. He says, your God must be on vacation. He must be asleep. He must be traveling somewhere else. Yell louder. They yell louder. They get swords and spears, and they cut themselves until the blood flows. It is 6 p.m. It is time for the evening sacrifice. Their God is not answered because their God does not exist. And then Elijah kneels down. And he says, God, not for me, because I've always believed in you, but for them, for them. Send down fire from heaven. And within a minute after that prayer is prayed, divine fire, not human fire, divine fire coming down from heaven. How do we know it's divine fire? Because the bowl is devoured by the flames. The rocks of the altar are devoured by the flames. The water that has filled the trenches is devoured by the flames. And if you look at 1 Kings 18, 
the soil itself was devoured by the flames. And when I see that, I I think of 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. On Judgment Day, when the fire comes, the atoms and the molecules themselves will be devoured because it's a fire sent from heaven. And when that happens, after 60, 70, 80 years of turning their back on God, when that happens, it was like when the Red Sea was open. When that happens, the Israelites kneel down on the mountainside and they say over and over again, as if a chant was lifting up to heaven, they said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And it echoes all the way to Jezreel. And the 850 prophets of Ashtoreth and Baal, they are killed. They are killed. Why? Because they have led the people continually away from God. They have led the people continually away from eternal salvation. They are destroyed. Elijah then kneels down a second time. He said, Lord, if the people's hearts have returned to you, if they have repented and turned back to you, will you not show your favor? I am not praying for fire, I'm praying for rain. And the cloud, size of a man's fist over the waters. Seven times Elijah prays, and every time the servant goes, the cloud is larger. (laughs) He says to Ahab, you have 14 miles to Jezreel. It will take you five hours. You better go now, because when the rain starts, you'll not be able to get home. And Ahab does not wait for the rain. He has seen the power of God. Goes back to his capital city, Jezreel. His wife says to him, How many pieces did they cut Elijah into? Tell me I will never hear his voice again. And Ahab looked her in the eye and said, Jehovah is God. Your prophets and priests are all dead. And Elijah and Jehovah stand firm. So evil was Jezebel. She did not blink an eye. She said, send a messenger to Elijah. Tell him that he will be dead before 24 hours have gone by. Elijah had done kind of a foolish thing, thinking that God was totally protecting him for the next decade. He went straight back to the capital city. He went back to Jezreel. He got there before Ahab did. And there were spies favorable to Elijah. They heard the conversation. They ran to Elijah and said, Leave immediately. Leave. You'll be dead before this day is out unless you leave. And Elijah runs out into the wilderness and he sits underneath a juniper tree and he says to God, I am tired, I am weak, I am sad, I am worn. What you just saying 
Take me home. I don't want to do this anymore. Take me home. I feel for him. For 30 years, he's waited for that magic moment there on Mount Carmel when God reveals himself and the people come back. He's been waiting for it for all those years. The champagne doesn't even have a chance to cool down before Jezebel says, you'll be dead by tomorrow. Maybe Elijah said, God, why didn't you give me, why didn't you give me a year? Why didn't you give me a year just to sit back and relax and enjoy this? Out in the wilderness, he says to God, I am the only one left. God said to him, no, there are 7,000 left in the land. 4.8 million Israelites at that time. There are 7,000 left in the land. You're not the only one. When I think these last couple of years here in this country, and so many people have said, it's the end times, God's going to come soon. I don't belittle what they say, but I think this. If 7,000 people out of 4.8 million were lifting their prayers to God, and if the prayers of one righteous man reached the ears of God, and if the prayers of one righteous man out of 7.7 billion people on this planet reached the ears of God, there are millions and millions and millions of Christians in this country, there are billions of Christians in this world asking God to be with us to remove evil in all of its various forms and shapes. God said, Elijah, you're not the only one. And then in verse 7, Jesus comes to him. Let me read this. The angel of the Lord came and touched Elijah and said, Arise and eat. There is a great journey before you. There is much work to be done. Not an angel. The angel of the Lord. He is mentioned twelve times in the Old Testament. Times of great concern for the Israelites. Times when everything could come to an end. The angel of the Lord came. His omniscience, his omnipotence, the fact that he himself accepts sacrifices to himself lead 90% of theologians to believe that when he's mentioned in the Old Testament, it is Jesus himself. Everything hangs in the balance now. There are 7,000 that worship God, but there's only one prophet. And he has said, I've had enough. And God does something that he rarely did. He sends Jesus down from heaven in the form of the angel of the Lord. And he touches Elijah. Has ever happened to you? Does God work some great miracle and two weeks later something else is going on and we totally forget what he did two weeks earlier? Has it ever happened to you? 
Some great miracle car accident out there. If you had come two seconds earlier, you'd been right in the middle of that car accident. But God kept you from it. You knew it was God. You knew it was God. Or you were in the car accident and your car has nothing left to it. And you sit and look and say, how am I still alive? You knew it was God. Two weeks later, something comes up and you forget the miracle that just happened. The doctor says something about your illness. The boss says something about your work. And all of a sudden, the God that you were praising two weeks earlier for the miracle, all of a sudden you've forgotten Him. How long did it take the Israelites to forget that the Red Sea had opened and God had saved them all? How long did it take them? Three weeks. When they ran out of water, they said, where's God? Angel of the Lord touches Elijah. And Elijah rises up. It wasn't just him, the Apostle Paul, Philippians 1.21. He said on that particular day, I've had enough, God. I've had enough. I've been in prison. Philippians is a prison letter. I've been in prison for three years. I've been beaten five times with 39 stripes. Can you imagine the scars on his back? Five times and then beaten and stoned and everything else that he lists. And now in prison for three years, on that particular day, he said, I've had enough, God. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. My intense desire is to depart and to come home to heaven. But Lord, if you need me here to write a few more letters to be found in the Bible, then keep me here. Her name was Hagar. She was more sinned against than sinning. God had told Abraham, 2200 B.C., from your offspring will come so many people, all nations on earth will be blessed. He's 50 years old, no child. 60 years old, no child. 70 years old, no child. 80 years old, no child. And he's saying to God, I'm running out of time here. Sarai says to him, Go sleep with your handmaid. She'll become pregnant. That's the child's. And no sooner does she have the child than Sarai is so hateful toward her, says to Abraham endlessly, I want her gone, I want her gone, I want Ishmael gone. Abraham said, I can't do it. But she kept on and on and on. And finally Ahab said, Hagar, leave the camp. No food, no water. Leave the camp. Go into the wilderness. If God desires to protect you, He will. And Hagar goes off into the wilderness. She prays to God. How does she know God? Abraham had taught even his servants. She prays to God. Who comes? The angel of the Lord came to Hagar and touched her and said, your life will be spared, Ishmael will be spared, and all the nations of this earth will be blessed. What did Hagar say? She said, God has come to me. I have seen God. The angel of the Lord was Jesus Christ performing that miracle. I'll give you one other episode of the Twelve. His name is Manoah, his wife. They have no children. It's the age of the judges. 
If I ask you who was the greatest judge, would you say Gideon, Judges 6? Or would you say Samson, Judges 13 through 16? Samson. The angel of the Lord, remember Gabriel coming to the Virgin Mary, the angel of the Lord, Jesus, comes to Manoah and his wife, says to them, you shall bear a child, he will be the judge, he'll be the hand of God, his name will be Samson. Manoah and his wife say to the angel of the Lord, we have heard the voice of God. They built an altar and offered a sacrifice, not to God, but to the angel of God. And the Bible says that when the incense of the offering went up to heaven, the angel of the Lord jumped into the smoke and ascended up into heaven. The touch of God twelve times in the Old Testament, and it is none other than Jesus Christ. Has God touched you? In the Old Testament, he went crazy. It's not Balaam, it's not Manoah, it's not Hagar, it's not Elijah. It's some blind beggar who doesn't have any name, and Jesus touches him. And the deaf man and the demon-possessed man, he just went crazy for those three years. Thirty-five miracles touching people's lives. Has he touched yours? You would not be sitting here if he hadn't. A kind word would not come out of your mouth if he hadn't. A kind deed would not come forth from you if he hadn't. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, you cannot do the fruits of the Spirit. You cannot have faith in Him unless you've been touched by God, not by the angel of the Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. The touch of God, when it comes, do you know it's Him? When it comes, you know it's Him. She passes away, and at that moment, you have the greatest grief and the greatest relief you'll ever have. The grief comes because she passed away. But your relief is because you've been touched by God, and you know she's safe in heaven. How many times has he touched you this past week, Saturday, busy day yesterday? How many times did he touch you yesterday? Do you have eyes that see and ears that hear, as Jesus described it? I'm going to share a story with you, and then I'm done. story happened two days ago. 9.30 in the morning, on the bike trail, two hours before Lucia Urquhart's funeral. I'm running my four miles. There's a lady in front of me. She has a dog, Golden Retriever. I hadn't seen her really, and all of a sudden, 100 yards in front of me, there she is. And as I go running past her, she's very, very startled. 
And as I pass her, I say, I am so, so sorry for scaring you. So sorry. Uh, And I said, have a good weekend. (laughs) I'm 50 yards past her. As I passed her, she had this dog, and the dog began to whine. Not bark, not try and get off the leash, just began to whine. Fifty yards past her, all of a sudden I have a dog running on my right-hand side. It's the golden retriever. He's looking straight ahead, and he's running right by my side. I turn around, and I do one of these things. She says to me, keep on going. I don't know what that meant at that time. Keep on going. I run another half mile and I'm at the point on the trail where I have to cut across Oak Park Avenue and get back to my neighborhood. And I stop there and I wait for three or four minutes until she catches up. And I said, what is this? She said to me, Two years ago, on this day, my husband died. She said, I'm from South Carolina. I could hear by her accent. She said, I'm up here to see my son. Because of COVID, I wasn't able to see him. Haven't seen him in these two years. Come to see my son on the anniversary of my husband's death. And when I was on the bike trail, I was praying to God. I was saying, God, will this grief ever go away? It hurts as bad now as the day it happened. Will this grief ever go away? Will you take it away? Then she said, I also prayed, is my husband really safe? Is there really heaven? Is he really safe? Will I see him again? And she said to me, at that moment is when you ran past me. My husband was a runner like you. She said, I don't mean to freak you out, but the clothes you have on now, the orange shorts and the black shirt and the red shoes are the exact outfit my husband had on the day he ran, came into my house and collapsed of a heart attack. My dog always ran with him. Wherever he went, my dog always ran with him, unleashed. And this is the first time in two years, though I've walked many a bike trail in South Carolina and many runners have passed me, this is the first time that he responded. And I knew if I let him loose, He'd be running by your side. I said to her, God has answered your prayer. God has touched this moment. And I said, you'll never forget him. And she said, you are correct. And I said, I'll never forget this moment either. You look like him. You sound like him. You dress like him. God, will this grief ever go away? 
It did. It did two days ago. God is, he's still alive. Is he safe? Two days ago, that question answered. She was tired, she was weak, she was worn, she was sad. She was not under a juniper tree. She was on a bike trail. And she was touched by God. Don't base your faith on your feelings. They fluctuate. Base your faith on the reality that God is so real you could never imagine. And the hands that create a universe. Sparrow does not fall to the ground without him knowing it. And a sad woman on a bike trail on Oak Park Avenue. He knew her. And he came. Would you rise for a moment as we pray? Sometimes a hand on our shoulder moves us. Sometimes someone reaching out to us by an email or a knock on the door moves our hearts, changes that day, changes the moment. Can one begin to imagine when God reaches down from heaven and touches a life who needs him desperately? And you do that all the time, a trillion times a day in billions of people's lives. You do that all the time, not through an angel but through your word and the promises therein and the circumstances of life, such as the one I just shared, you touch us all the time. May our faith be renewed and may it linger far longer than it usually does. Keep us close to you, Lord, in our Savior's name. Amen.